0: If you've had the privilege of going through a trial, which if, you, if you've been walking with Jesus for more than a couple of months, you have, you can look back at that now and say, Praise God for his faithfulness through that trial. Praise God that he gave me the strength to walk through that. I look back at times in my life and I can't imagine how I made it through. And so we can simply say, Were it not for the grace of God, I can't imagine being able to walk through a time like that. It was interesting to me to, to see our church uh, over the last 18 to 20 months go through a trial like we've never seen before in the fact of uh, going through a period of, of having to shut down for uh, a 12-week period and then being able to restart back up and to see what God brought from that. And as we look back over those last 20 months or so, we would see that God's brought about good fruit from it. We see that God's added to his church. We see that people have been saved and baptized and discipled and growing in their faith and coming back to a right relationship with the Lord. And we can look back at that and say, praise God for his faithfulness. And so we see that through trials, testings, times of difficulty, we can see that we're blessed because of it, because our faith is genuine. We persevere trials through the power of God. And, and again, if, it's, if it seems a little bit redundant, and uh, it seems hard for you to keep track on what we're talking about on Sunday morning, what, what we're talking about on Sunday evening, it just goes back to the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is God's faithfulness to his people, and the glory of God. That, that's really the story of the entire Bible. And whether we talk about the book of Genesis, or whether we talking about the book of Revelation, the story is God's faithfulness to his people and his quest for his glory over all of creation. And so sometimes on Sunday morning, we talk about God allows us to go through difficult times and face our fears by his power and his presence and his promises and all those things. All those things ring true when it comes time to walking through times of difficulties and trials as well. And so we see that we and I, you and I don't have to walk through trials and difficulties in our own power. We're given the power of God. That's why, again, I believe it's so important that we as a church sing songs and praise God together with songs that speak of doctrinal truth. Uh, again, uh, tonight we sang songs that speak about standing in the power of God and not in our own might. That we're complete in Jesus Christ. Uh, I love that song, complete in the uh, O Justified Oh, blessed thought that through, by, uh, by salvation, sanctification is wrought. And just so much good doctrinal truth in that uh, message. And again, when we think about the in Christ alone, that we don't stand in our own power. We stand in the power of, of the resurrected Christ. There's so much good truth in that, but as we took a look at last week on Sunday morning, the power that we stand in is the same power that raised Christ from the dead, lives in every single believer, every single child of God. We know that we don't have to face trials in our own power, but we can lean upon the power that we find in Jesus Christ. We persevere trials through the promises of God. Again, if we didn't have God's word to lean on, if we'd had no promises from God, I think we'd spend a lot of times in fear, a lot of time scratching our heads, a lot of time trying to figure out what was next. But because we have truth and promises that come from God's word, we uh, immerse ourselves, immerse our hearts and our minds in the promises of God's word. We have a, a book that was on the back table for a while. I don't know if we have any right now, but it was called The Bible Promises Book, and it was arranged by category. There was, uh, categories uh, uh, of so, every uh, one that you could imagine, and you could flip through there and find promises from God's Word. And so uh, so many good promises from God's Word, and you should claim those promises as your own because they'll allow you to endure difficulties and trials as you face them. We also persevere trials through the testing of God. If we take a look at verse number uh, 12, it says, for when he is tried. And the idea of this trying is a time of testing. And the idea is that it's, this testing is to determine whether or not this is genuine or whether it's fake. I remember uh, when I was a, a young uh, guy, I had bought from a kid on the bus a gold chain. Sounds like a great idea, Right? Anybody want to guess how the story ends? (laughs) With a, a, you know, an eight-year-old kid with a green ring around his neck. What happened? I thought it was genuine. I gave him all my allowance that I had for that week. He gave me a gold chain. Come to find out, I know it's a shock to you, but buying gold jewelry from young boys on a public school bus is not a great place to buy jewelry, okay? And guess what? I found out really, really quickly that that gold chain was not genuine, much to my shock and dismay, that $7 could not actually buy a legitimate gold chain from a young man on a bus. How did I find, find that out? Through testing. What was the test? I wore it, and it turned my neck green. Like, where, like I slept in it because, I, you know, I'm going to sleep in this gold chain because I'm going to wear it for the rest of my life because it makes me look so cool, Right? And I sleep in this gold chain and wake up the next morning and have a green ring around my neck from where this gold chain is set. And that let me know really quickly, this isn't legitimate, it's not genuine. For you and I, we must go through times of testing to find out whether or not we can really lean on our faith the way that we thought that we could. Is your faith genuine? Will it stand up to the test of difficulty? You'll find out when testing comes. And that's what it means here in verse number, uh, verse number 12 when it says, when he is tried When he is placed through a testing period his faith will be tested to determine whether it's authentic or not authentic. It's been said before that a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. That's exactly what James is saying here that when he is tried he's either going to come forth through it if that's the case he'll receive a crown of life but if he doesn't make it through it's because his faith was not genuine to begin with. It's tough for me as a pastor to see so many quote churches who want to get people saved or they just want people to pray a sinner's prayer hey one two three repeat after me no talk of sin no talk of condemnation no talk of god's wrath no talk of punishment just hey if you'd like to go to heaven pray this prayer with me i'm telling you that's not the type of faith that will endure difficult times trials and testing A type of faith isn't rooted in the person of Christ. It's not rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's rooted in an idea of I can pray a prayer and go to heaven and go on my merry way. So the question we need to ask ourselves, have we experienced genuine saving faith? We're all born sinners into this world. None of us are born into the family of God. Because of our sin, we've created distance between us and God. We're not the, the automatically the children of God, we're automatically the enemies of God, according to Romans chapter 5. We're the children of wrath, the children of disobedience, the children of the devil. And so we have to make things right with God because we owe God a debt that we cannot pay. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. If you want to pay your debt and settle up with God, you can endure God's wrath and punishment in hell for all of eternity. But God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on your behalf. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And all those who would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says, to them gave he power to become the sons and daughters of God. To them gave he eternal life. Do you know for sure that you have eternal life? Do you know for sure that your sins are forgiven? Not are you a member of a church, not have you been baptized, but do you know for sure that you're born again? And friend, if you're here tonight and you do not know for sure that you're born again, you need to make sure of that tonight because when trials and difficulties come, you will not have a leg to stand on because your, your anchor must be firmly rooted in Christ himself. And when this time of trials and testing come and the, your proving time has come, and again, we're not proving ourselves to God, we're proving to our own selves what we believe Because when trials and difficulties come to your life, you will run somewhere. And the Bible says that we should run to Christ. Verse number 13 tells us, I'm sorry, verse number 12 tells us that those who are deemed genuine will receive the crown of life. Again, blessed is the man that endureth temptation for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Now, when we talk about the crown of life that's given to us, this is not a crown of royalty. There is only one king of kings, only one lord of lords, only one throne uh, in heaven, the throne of the Father. At the right hand seated of him is is Jesus Christ. And so our crown that we wear will not be a crown of royalty. It's more of an athlete's reward for winning a race. So think of it, especially in Olympic terms right now, you think of it as receiving a medal, so the type of crown that we receive will not be a glittery crown with jewels as a king would receive, but it would be more like a wreath that athletes would wear in, in biblical times after they had run a race and they would receive a crown. Paul says that uh, they run to receive a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible And so this crown that we receive will be a reward for those who have endured temptation, for those who have overcome difficulties and trials and been found faithful. And so I believe, this is my own interpretation, that this particular crown is is receivable by anyone who basically walks the Christian life and and is faithful to Jesus. Because you will face temptation, you will face uh, testing, you will face trials, you will have to come through those, and, and as a faithful Christian, I believe that just about every Christian should receive the crown of life. Now, again, there's a little bit of disparity for, uh, amongst theologians, whether these crowns are uh, a figure of speech, uh, maybe a metaphor that Paul's using of rewards in heaven, or whether they're literal crowns that we will receive at the judgment seat of Christ as we uh, stand and, and basically our life's work is, is placed upon the furnace. And whatever is wood, hay, and stubble will burn, but whatever is gold, silver, precious stone will remain. And some believe that there will be a time of receiving crowns at this point here. I kind of fall in the middle there. I could see it both ways. I I wouldn't argue with anybody else. I, I tend to believe that these will be physical crowns that we receive. Other people would say that they're a metaphor, I wouldn't argue with them. I wouldn't call them a, a terrible Christian or anything like that. I would just agree to disagree. But whether you take it one way or the other, there will be rewards in heaven, and it will be based on how we live our lives here on earth. And so this crown of life that's given is promised to those who love him. So again, we see in verse number uh, 12 here, He shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Now, again, if you've studied the Bible for any length of time, you'll know that biblical love has little to nothing to do with our emotions or our feelings. Oftentimes people say, well, of course I love the Lord. I came to church on a Sunday night and I sang a song and it it felt really warm and fuzzy in my chest. I must love God. When we talk about loving God in accordance with Scripture, biblical love is always linked directly to obedience to God. So you cannot love God and disobey God at the same time. They just don't go together. And so again, when we talk about those that will receive this crown of life that God will give to those that love him, again, we're talking to those who walk in obedience to God's commandments because love for God is always directly linked to obedience in the Bible. You cannot have one without the other. And you cannot be disobedient to God and claim to love God at the same time. It just doesn't fit. So again, when we talk about those who will receive the crown of life, it's those who have endured temptation, those who have been faithful through times of difficulty, and to them that love God. Now, the Bible speaks of five different crowns, five different rewards that we could receive uh, in eternity. And again, obviously, these are going to be for Christians, uh, because if you're not a child of God, the only thing you have coming after this life is wrath, judgment, and punishment. But for those of us that are Christians, if you've been saved, if you've been born again, you will also meet God in judgment. But this judgment will will not be determining your eternal destination. That's already been judged. This time of judgment that we see God will not be a time for the judgment of our sin. Because if you're a child of God, your sin was already judged on Calvary, placed upon Jesus Christ. He was found guilty. He became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and so for you and I, our sin has already been judged, so the judgment seat of Christ will not be a time uh, where you and I have to answer for our sins if we're a child of God. I remember as a kid, uh, I had gotten somewhere along the line, either mixed signals or poor teaching on the judgment seat of Christ, and it was this idea that there was gonna be a big screen TV that was gonna roll all the sin of my life that I had to sit there and watch, and I basically had to give an account for that. Friend, if you're a child of God, you will never have to answer for your sin because your sin has been judged by Jesus Christ. Now, that being said, does that mean that our sin, our habitual, willful sin against God does not have consequences? That's not what it means. You will always, there will always be consequences for your sin. Please never forget that. Now, you cannot lose your salvation. You cannot out the grace of God. But, friend, make no matter of the fact that sin always has consequences, that God has a deep, burning hatred for sin. Sin always displeases God. Sin always brings about death, that we'll see uh, just a couple of other verses later here in James. Sin always brings destruction. There's always consequences as a result of sin. But sin will either in eternity will keep us from receiving some of the rewards that were to be given. So again, uh, that's why we, we need to be very careful how we live our life here on earth. Because there are eternal rewards or loss of rewards that are waiting for us. So when we think about the crowns that are mentioned in the Bible, there's five different crowns, we'll run through them really quickly here. First uh, cr- crown that we find listed in Scripture is the incorruptible crown. If you're taking notes here tonight, uh, you could write 1 Corinthians 9.25 in your notes there. 1 Corinthians 9.25. Paul says, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. They do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainty. So I fight, I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep my body and bring it into subjection. Lest by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. So incorruptible crown is given to those who live a life of self-control or temperance. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 8, speaks of the crown of righteousness given to those who are eagerly awaiting to see Jesus. 2 Timothy 4, 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day, and not to me only, but unto them, also that love his appearing. These are those who are eagerly anticipating the return of Christ. And you say, oh, it uh, must be every Christian, right? <laughs> no. Well, I love God. Loving God and loving God's appearing are two different things. For example, I remember as a kid, my mom was going to the grocery store, and she said, Anthony, clean up your room before I get home from the grocery. No problem. The problem was is that I just sat down to watch an episode of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. <laughs> and man, I love some Fresh Prince. And so I'm watching Fresh Prince. I'm laughing. It's one of the greatest shows ever known to man. Now, mind you, I was probably... 12 or 13, so if you go back and find that there was inappropriate content, don't hold it against me because I haven't watched it in 30 years, okay? But I love Fresh Prince. And I'm sitting there watching a show, and my mom pulls up in the driveway. Where am I? I'm still on the couch watching Fresh Prince. At that moment, make no mistake, I loved my mother, but I did not love my mother's appearing, okay? You know why? Because I was not where I was supposed to be, doing what I was supposed to do, and there were gonna be consequences for my actions. I loved my mom, but I did not love her appearing. I didn't want her to come yet because I wasn't done doing what I wanted to do. And so when we think about the appearing of Christ, shouldn't everybody love his appearing? They should, but they won't. There are Christians who are not waiting for Christ's return. For those of us that love Jesus and are, and are walking with Jesus and live for the glory of God every single day. We think of the return of Christ, like the day I get to meet Jesus face to face, like best day ever. Can't wait. Looking forward to it. But for those who are living in sin, for those who are carnal, for those that have a lack of appetite for the things of God, they're not waiting for the return of Christ. The return of Christ means an end for their fun or an end of the, what they want to do. And so when we think of the crown of righteousness is given to those who are eagerly awaiting the return of Christ. Next crown, crown of rejoicing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 19, if you're taking notes. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19. Paul says he writes to the church at Thessalonica, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming, for ye are our glory and our joy. Crown of rejoicing is given to those who bring other people to Jesus Christ. Paul, when he talks about the church at Thessalonica, he says, man, what's our crown of rejoicing? It's you. It's the fact that you've been brought to faith in Christ, that we had an opportunity to get you the gospel, and you responded and receive Jesus, and that is our crown of rejoicing. Now, again, it's verses like this, which leads me to uh, sympathize with people who might say that these are metaphors. Paul doesn't says we will receive a crown of rejoicing. He says you guys are our crown of rejoicing. So could it be metaphorical? Could it be for sure? Could it be actual crowns that we receive in heaven? Definitely for sure. I can see it both ways. I wouldn't argue for it or against it. Uh, again, I, I believe, and again, for, for us to... to I always tell people, never try to be abundantly clear where the Bible is fuzzy. Does that make sense? So many times people want to, to draw hard lines where the Bible doesn't necessarily have a hard line. And again, I wouldn't fight somebody who said that this was metaphorical or I wouldn't fight somebody who said that it, that it wasn't. It's just one of those things that we draw conclusions based on what we see in Scripture. And again, you'll, you'll find that when you study the book of Revelation that God leaves things specifically unclear on purpose, and whatever God wants us to know is found directly in his word. Uh, we don't have to read tea leaves or look into the uh, current events of the day or anything like that to figure out what God's trying to say. He's, he's always abundantly clear in his word. So this crown of rejoicing is given to those who lead other people to Christ. Crown of glory is given to those who shepherd and disciple other people. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 3. 1 Peter 5, 3, neither as being lords over God's heritage but being examples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Peter here is speaking primarily to other pastors because Peter was a pastor. But I, my interpretation of the scripture is that uh, he, he talks about those who shepherd the flock of God. And I believe this would include those who were involved in discipleship and teaching people what it means to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ. That The, the uh, crown of glory that's given here in this case would be to those who lead people Uh, to be committed followers of Christ as well. The fifth and final crown that we find in Scripture is the crown of life, which we find here in in James chapter 1. We see also um, Revelation chapter 2 verse number 10 speaks of the crown of life as well. Revelation 2.10 says, Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer, again speaking of trials here, Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. So again, we see those who endure temptation uh, and trials, difficulties, will receive the crown of life, Revelation chapter 2, verse number 10. Those are five crowns that we see in Scripture. Now again, I believe, based on what we see in Scripture, that these crowns are not for our own benefit. We won't be wearing uniforms up in heaven, and I'll look and go like, oh, man, that guy got all five crowns. I wish I'd gotten him. Uh, I was discipling a guy one time uh, who was uh, uh, newer to the faith. He'd gotten saved as a kid, but never really been discipled, and we were going through discipleship, and this guy's a, a type A to the hilt, type A plus personality, a overachiever in everything that he does. As we're going through these crowns, I can see him, like, getting fired up, like, oh, man, I'm going to get all these. Like, man, I'm going to collect them all. I got it all. I'm going to be like cops. Like, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be the guy where everybody's just like, dude, that guy, like, did it. (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing. The crowns aren't for you. The crowns aren't things that we amass for our own personal recognition or for our own personal benefit. And again, uh, this is based on my interpretation and others' interpretation of the scripture as well. Revelation chapter four, verse number 10. says, the four and 20 elders fall down before him that sat upon the throne, speaking of Christ, and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Revelation chapter four, verses 10 and 11. So here we see 24 elders around the throne take the crowns that they have, cast them at the feet of Christ, and proclaim that He is worthy. And Revelation chapter 4.11 sums up the question, what is the meaning of life? When it says, all things were created and are created for His pleasure. And so again, if you want to draw connecting dots here, I believe that the way that we live our life and we live our life in a way that's pleasing and honorable to Christ, we'll have something to offer in heaven when we get there. So again, the Bible speaks very clearly about rewards and the loss of rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. One of the greatest fears of my life as I began walking with Jesus and really one of the things that, that kicked Angela and I into finding out how we can serve God to a greater degree was the idea of standing at the judgment seat of Christ with nothing to offer, with my hands in my pockets, having lived a life for myself and not for Christ, having lived a life of of selfishness, chasing materialism, that I had a lot of things to offer in this life, but when I got to eternity, I had nothing. The thought of that absolutely terrified me. And Angela and I made a decision that night, we're gonna flip it. We might not have much on this earth, but we're gonna have everything in heaven. We're going to lay up treasure in heaven for when we get there. That that we don't know what's going to happen on this earth, but when it comes to going to heaven, we're going to take as many people as we can, and we're going to send as much stuff ahead as possible. And I think that's the idea of this, the idea of crowns and the idea of rewards in heaven, is that we're not living for this life because this life is quick. We're living with eternity in mind we see verse number 13 in our text here, James chapter 1, verse number 13. Let no man say when I, he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So it's important to understand that God sends trials our way as a way to authenticate our faith. But God never tempts us to sin. So... God is not a source of temptation. Our own carnal flesh would be a source of temptation. The devil definitely, the Bible tells us, is a tempter. The devil tempted Jesus himself. But it's important to understand that God never sends temptation our way. Again, the idea that God has put something in our path to cause us to fail simply isn't who God is. God didn't place something in your path to tear you down, to cause you to fail, to cause you to get off track, to cause you to stumble. Now, will God send trials in your life to humble you? No doubt about it. But God is never looking for your failure and your destruction. God is looking for you to glorify Him. And so when we think of of who God is, God allows us to authenticate our faith by walking through trials and difficulties and being able to lean on the grace that he provides, but he never tempts us to sin. This next statement is not original with me, but it's very powerful. Testings are to be endured where temptations are to be resisted. I love that kind of sums up nicely what James is trying to say here. You're going to face testing times. You need to stick it out. You need to be faithful You need to go the distance. There are times where you're going to have to lean on God's power like you've never leaned on it before. There's going to be times where you're going to have to dig into God's Word to find a promise to cling to for today. And that's okay. You just need to make it through. Oftentimes when we come to times of testing, times of difficulties and times of trials, we want to look for the exit right away. What's the quickest way out of here? How do I cause this to stop? How do I get out of this? But oftentimes God doesn't place us in times of testing and trials for the exit, but for the endurance. Like as we said at the beginning of this study, when it comes to trials and difficulties, you will not like the process, but you will love the product. The process is hard, it's difficult, it's painful, but the benefit on the other side of your trial, the benefit on the other side of your suffering, the benefit on the other side of your difficulty is something that money cannot buy. But temptation, on the other hand, that's to be resisted at all costs, run from it. And we know that temptation doesn't come from God. And uh, I love how James, and we'll get to this uh, the week after next. James talks about how we avoid falling into sin. The process that we go through to have to get to the point where we sin, James lays the entire process out for us, which allows us to walk it backwards and figure out how to never get there. And so temptation, when it comes to that, run from it. because temptation's come in your way for sure. But the most important thing in the entire world is, do you have a genuine faith? Do you know for sure that you're saved? Do you know for sure that you're born again? I know for me, times of difficulties and trials has just steeled my will. It's only hardened my resolve. It's only proven to me time and time again that I am nothing without the power of God. I'm hopeless without the promises of God. But for many times, I see people come to times of difficulties and trials, and they quit on Jesus. They come to times of testing, and they fail, and they give up. And they quit. They say, well, maybe my faith wasn't all that I thought it was. Maybe God let me down. Maybe God isn't who I thought that he was. And in times like that, it's just a proof that maybe their faith wasn't genuine to begin with. You say, well, Pastor, that's pretty harsh. I didn't say it. James did. I didn't say it. John did in 1 John when he says, they went out from us because they were never of us to begin with. They left the faith because they were never part of the faith to begin with. But when we dig in deeper, when we have nowhere else to run, when we're like Peter in John chapter 6 where Jesus says, well, you also go away. And Peter said, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We don't have a plan B. That's when you know that your faith is a real deal. That's when you know that your faith is genuine. But again, you won't know that until the time of testing comes. So if you're here tonight and you don't know for sure that you're saved, please don't leave here tonight without knowing that for sure. But if you're a child of God, if you're saved, just know that trials and testings are coming. It's not a a way for us to prove ourselves to God. We don't have to prove ourselves to God. It's a way to prove to ourselves that God is enough. And I promise you this, God's always faithful. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast.